Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and let's go to Judges chapter number six today. Judges chapter six this morning. Judges six, and we are going to... uh, We're going to be in the Word of God from Judges 6 all the way to Judges chapter 8. And uh, I heard uh, Dan said last week that you'd get out before supper. And so I'll tell you that this week we'll be out by the end of supper. Uh, because we're going to cover two and a half chapters, but we're going to do it quickly. And man, it is a great, great series that we've been going through. Of course, the series, the title of it is Relentless, about God's pursuing grace and how God does not give up on his people, as we mentioned just a moment ago. And uh, just to kind of get everyone on the same page, we've been going through this series, studying out the book of Judges. Uh, if you will recall, the book of Judges is a great study. It's mainly about the children of Israel and how God was continually seeking to get them back to worship him and find fulfillment with him. If you'll recall, we go all the way back uh, to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter number 12, you meet a man by the name of Abram. God made a promise to Abram. He said, I'm gonna raise of you a people, and that people would become the nation of Israel. I'm gonna take you and these people, move them into a land that I promise you. That's why we call it the promised land. I'm going to give you this land. And so Abram traveled and he finally came to the area in the Middle East that we know as Israel now. And of course, it was much larger then. Uh, That whole area was given to the nation of Israel. That's for a different political message. But um, you can go and do some research and you'll find that that whole region is, is given and belongs to the nation of Israel. And still to this day, it is theirs to inherit. It is their promised land. Well, God wanted to do this. He wanted to take the children of Israel into the promised land for a number of reasons. Number one, to glorify him. That's the main reason God wanted them there is to glorify him. But the second way really kind of uh, just kind of goes right along and, and tails right in with that first way is God wanted them to glorify him by showing others how good he was. But the way that they were going to show others how good he was is by the relationship that God wanted to have with his people. You see, God, as we state this often at church, God is always interested in relationship. From Genesis to Revelation, it is about God having a relationship with man through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the word of God is all about. Well, God wanted to move them into the promised land so that they would have a relationship with God so that they could find fulfillment in that relationship with God. And then they would be able to point others to him. Well, from Genesis all the way to Joshua, you follow the uh, Israel's history and they go up and down, in and out of the promised land, into captivity, into Egypt under uh, um, the rule of, of course, Joseph was around when they went in. And then you find Exodus and Moses bringing them out. And you can go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua and the book of Judges. But when you come to the book of Joshua, you find that they come back into the land out of Egypt. Moses is passed off the scene. Joshua was supposed to lead them in the land and God gave instruction to Moses and Joshua to do a couple of things. Number one, either destroy and or drive out all of the enemies of God. Remember that? Those of you who've been with us on the series, destroy them or drive them out. Number two, teach the next generation who I am. Well, why would God, why would God want all the enemies of God out? 
Well, because God knew that if the enemies lived there, that idolatry would slip in. He knew that if the sin was in the camp, so to speak, that sin would become the camp, that, it, that, that the camp would just become sinful. So he said, destroy them or, or, or drive them out. Well, the children of Israel, we found out this a number of weeks ago, they gave God what we called partial obedience because they came into the promised land. Judges 1 reviews it for us that they drove out the inhabitants or destroyed the inhabitants to a certain degree. But they left all of the ites and the Philistines there. The ites, the Amorites, Amalekites, Hittites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Parasites, yeah, whatever. They left all the ites. Thank you, Craig. They left all the ites and they left the Philistines. Well, they gave God partial obedience in that first one, that first instruction God gave them. The second one, really, I don't even know if they gave God partial obedience because the Bible tells us in Judges chapter two, verse 12 and verse number 14, that there arose up a generation, it says this, that knew not God and a generation that forsook God. Okay, that's where we got to when we come to Judges three. Because of this, we've been in our series, God has allowed them to be oppressed by the enemies of God. He's allowed them to face persecution and oppression under different kings and rulers. But God never gave up on them. And the key, listen, don't miss it. The key to the entire book of Judges is Judges chapter two and verse number 16. The key to the entire book is this verse. Here's what it says. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. The key word, listen, the key word in the entire book of Judges is that very first word, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Man, nevertheless. Well, why would God do that? Because from Judges chapter two and verse number 15, all the way to Judges chapter one and verse number one, he's talking about the sin of the people and the rebellion of the people and the uh, disobedience of the people and partial obedience of the people. Basically, you're reading a chapter and chapter and a half that's like, listen, the nation of Israel rebelled against God time and time and time and time again. And then you read, Nevertheless, nevertheless, what? Nevertheless, God didn't give up on them. We saw God bring judges in. The first one was Othniel, mighty Othniel. He delivered the children of Israel from uh, the king of the um, uh, Mesopotamian, thank you. King of Mesopotamia, whose name was Cushan Rishathaim. Remember, we tried to say that five times fast. And Othniel came, he delivered the people of God. After him was Ehud. He delivered the children of Israel from the king of Moab, Fat Eglon. Remember with the dagger, dagger went in all the way and stuff happened and came out and the king died. Remember that one, Ehud? Then we studied uh, two weeks ago, we studied Shamgar. And Shamgar, a simple willing servant with a pointy stick, uh, just the ox goad, right? And he delivered them. The Bible says in Judges chapter three, the end of verse number 31, that he too delivered the children of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And he was a, a judge that delivered. Last week, we heard a great challenge out of Judges chapter four and verse number five about three unlikely people. I heard I was voted most likely to join the circus last week. That's what, I, that's what I heard. That's what I got out of the message, but I don't know what you, I'm just kidding. Last week, we learned about three unlikely people, Deborah, 
Barak and Jael. Remember the story? Deborah, Barak, and Jael. And, and Dan uh, laid out for us just who those people were and how God used the faith of Deborah to provoke Barak and how Jael, who was kind of a topsy-turvy and hadn't chosen sides, but finally said, you know what? I'm going to stand up with the people of God. And she took that hammer and, of course, gave uh, Sisera some, some milk, and he fell asleep. He was tired, running six miles. Remember that? Dan helped us out with that. And he went through that whole message and then jail, uh, uh, Cicero comes in and jail, oh yeah, I'll protect you. Here's some milk. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah sleep right here. He falls asleep on the ground and then, yeah, that, that nail right through his temple. I love it. Go read Judges 4 and 5. Don't just take Dan's word for the message. Listen, it's a great story. In Judges 5, she sings about it. I don't know. I don't know many people to do that. You know, like, I don't know how the song went, but it's like, praise the Lord, I got to drive a nail through a guy's head. <laughs> I don't know. You know, what, what'd she sing? But she sung about it. Man, what a, I don't know. The Bible is not boring. Just read it. Judges 4 and 5 help us with that. Well, today, we're going to come to Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're going to learn about a man this week and next week whose name was Gideon. It's an incredible story, incredible story with so much truths and principles for us. And so I invite you to take the word of God. Let's stand, let's go to Judges chapter six and we're gonna read some verses together and then we will fly through the message this morning. Judges chapter six, a few verses today. We're gonna kind of jump around so you can follow along or you can follow along on the screen. Judges 6.1, we're gonna read these, this word. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Skip down to verse number six. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, we're going to stop right there. Skip down to verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, and per that pertained unto Joash, the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress and hid it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Skip over a chapter to chapter 7 and verse number 7. We read these words. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man, unto his place. This morning, we're going to take these two chapters and we're going to learn, I believe, some profitable truths that can truly, I, I listen, I think the thoughts today could shape how we view Christianity. It could shape how we view our walk with God. And so I wanna invite you this morning to go, go with me to the Lord in prayer and then let's get into his word and see what he has for us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts today.
Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the word of God. We give you permission to work in our hearts. And Lord, we wanna have the heart of the psalmist that we read about in Psalm 85, that we're going to listen as you speak. We're going to hear. And so God, I pray that you'd bless the message. I pray, Lord, that as we go through the service and through the sermon, God, that you would uh, just help us to know exactly what it is that you wanna speak to each one of us today. We love you, God, and we thank you again for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we, uh, as we get started this morning, I just want to ask you when you, um, when you were a kid, did you ever hear somebody talking or telling a story or maybe, uh, maybe you saw a game from afar off and you had the thought, you know, I just want to get a closer look. I just want to get a closer look. I know right now in our conversations and uh, my children are in here, so I'll try not to embarrass them too much. Sorry, Dennis. <clears throat> but every now and then I'll, I'll pull my phone out and, uh, and, you know, maybe watch a funny video or someone sends me a video or a text or something like that. And, and there's been times when we'll be at the kitchen table and I'll pull the phone out and, and maybe during a meal and we'll, there's times maybe we'll even watch, a, watch something, you know, of something funny that we heard or something like that. And, and I'll, I'll hold the phone in front of me or we'll set it right by the, the center pot of the table right there, the centerpiece. And, you know what inevitably always happens? Everyone can see it. Everyone can see the phone. But when a screen comes out and kids are around, what do they do? They gravitate towards it, don't they? They want to hold it. They want to be close to it. I remember growing up, my mom would always say, Dennis, you're going to go cross-eyed if you get closer to that screen, you know? And sure enough, it happened. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Man, the kids, they just want to have that closer look, right? You can see it. You can see what's happening, but you just want to get a little bit of a closer look. As I come to Judges chapter 6 and 7 today, I want to help us be little kids again in this passage. Here's what I want us to do today. I want us to get a little bit of a closer look. In our series, we've been studying out the judges of God. That's what we've been doing. That's, that's what this book is about. We've been studying out the judges of God, but today we're going to look past the judge and instead of seeing the judges of God, today I wanna to look at the God of the judges because it is through Judges 6, 7, and 8 that we find some incredible, helpful information and truths about our God. I want you to notice, first of all, with me today that as we look at this passage, I see that we can look in this passage and find an eager God. We can find an eager God. And I wanna tell you this today, we serve an eager God. We serve an eager God. I want you to notice this with me. Look, if you will, at Judges chapter six and verse number two. <clears throat> we'll read verse one just for the sake of context. It says, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains, and caves, and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they, came up against them, against the children of Israel. And they, all those groups, the Midianites, and Amalekites, and the children of the east, they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, that far south end strip and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto 
the Lord. Let's stop right there. And I want to, as our story as our story opens up in verse number one, we find a common thread that we've seen through our entire series that the children of Israel, they do evil again in the sight of the Lord. And so here they are uh, having that, as we've been describing that, that cyclical relationship, just going around and around and around and around, uh, loving God, not loving God, walking away from God, desiring have, to have God, crying out to God, loving God, not loving God, and just doing that time and time again. Well, here we have them doing it again. They're doing evil again, verse number one tells us. And the Bible says that because of this evil, God allowed them to go under the oppression of the Midianites. The Midianites. They're under the oppression of the Midianites for seven years. And these were a people that they were continually turning back, turning their heart, or excuse me, turning their back and their heart away from the Lord. And because of this, God would bring that, that correction, if you will. And really, I look at the book of Judges, and, and you may not see it this way, but I think much of their oppression is just a result of their sin. It wasn't necessarily that God was like, well, I'm going to do this to you. It's kind of natural consequences. Hey, you didn't destroy them from before you. God says, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to allow them to come in and, and overrule you. And this time, it's, it's the Midianites. The Bible tells us that their oppression of the, Midi the oppression of the Midianites was very severe, how severe was it? Verse two tells us that because of the Midianites, Israel had to flee to the caves and the hills and the mountains and the dens. They had to escape away. Verse three, four, and five tell us that, uh, it, that the Midianites and the Amalekites, the children of East, it was so bad that the children of Israel could not even harvest crops, that they would go in and if their land was not destroyed, they would plant and when harvest would come, the Midianites would come and they would reap, har reap the harvest, take all their crops and then destroy what was left. That sounds like a pretty bad oppression, doesn't it? Man, they're just under this persecution. And we read uh, there in verse number uh, two that they were greatly impoverished. Excuse me, verse, uh, go down. Six. Verse number six, yeah, thank you. And they were greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. So now they're, they're going into this, uh, this deep oppression that's bringing about bankruptcy and, and this impoverishment with all the children of Israel. It tells us that their enemies were like grasshoppers for multitudes. It's interesting because in verse number five, when it says that they're, they were like grasshoppers for multitudes, the next phrase says, for both they and their camels without number. I've always thought that was kind of interesting. You know what I mean? Like, like why doesn't the Lord just say they're without number? They and their camels. I don't think you can necessarily prove one way or another, but I think it's kind of helping us see that Midian, not only were they strong, but they were rich. Camels were a sign of, of some wealth, having those animals. And it goes through verse four, lays out a number of animals that they had. And then verse five mentions the camels. So the Midianites, they really, they really had it made. They were, they were over this people group. They had all the money they need. They had all their crops. And God allowed them to oppress his people. They're facing this hardship, and really they're facing it because of their own, their own free will. I mean, while God had allowed this, I want you to understand what the children of Israel were doing. They had actually become, the children of Israel had actually become their own worst enemy. You say, well, why do you say that? Because they are the ones who kept going back into evil. They were their own worst enemy. And <clears throat> while God had allowed this, they were distancing themselves 
from their relationship with God. God was wanting to give them fulfillment there in the land, but they weren't finding it. I'll just tell you this real quick before we are too quick to judge Israel. Can we remember and be reminded that you and I, we too are our own worst enemies at times? Sometimes we are the very reason that we're not experiencing a fulfilled relationship with God. Sometimes it is our own pride that keeps us. I appreciate uh, Micah's message and his series, Real Change, on Thursday nights. If you were not here, he preached an incredible, great, helpful series about real change and understanding that that God desires to bring that change about. But one thing he talked about this last week is we have to change the way we see ourselves. And often our pride is what hinders us from a relationship with God. And sometimes it may be some uh, sinful spirit that we allow in, whether that be bitterness or anger or something like that. But we become our own, en- our own worst enemy, hindering us from having that uh, fulfilled relationship with God. And the truth is that when we depart from the Lord, we find ourselves empty and unfulfilled. One man worded it this way. He said, the heart that departs from God is lost, not only to that which is good, but that which is great. Well, why? Because when we step away from God, we're not lost in the sense of lost our salvation. We're lost in this life. And we're missing out on the great relationship that we can have with God. That's where the children of Israel were. Well, they're away from the Lord, but notice what happens in the second part of verse number six. First part says they cry to the Lord. So the children of Israel greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. In these verses, we discover them once again turning back to God. That phrase that they cried unto the children of Israel, that, that word cried, it, it means to gather together, to humble before, and to call out to. That's the connotation of the Hebrew words once you put them together. <clears throat> so they come to the Lord, but I don't want us really to focus upon them coming to the Lord. What I want us to focus upon is God's response. What did God do? Verse number eight tells us that God sent a prophet. From verse eight down through verse number 10, through the prophet, God simply says to them, I delivered you out of Egypt. I have a plan and a purpose with you, but you keep walking away from me. It's almost like the whole book of Hosea summarized in three verses. I love you, I gave for you, but you keep leaving me. And then you read verse number 11. God didn't just stop by sending the prophet. He continues in verse 11. And you know what he does? He sends a deliverer. You say, pastor, well, what does that show us about the eagerness of God? Did you know that God, he was willing and ready to help? He was willing and ready to respond. Do you know what he was waiting for? Them. He was waiting for the children of Israel. One man said it this way, though in their prosperity, they had neglected him and made court to his rivals. And though they never looked towards him until they were driven to it by extremity, yet upon their complaint and prayer, he intended relief for them 
Thus would he show how ready he is to forgive, how swift he is to show mercy, and how inclinable he is, how inclinable to hear prayer that sinners may be encouraged to return and repent. You say, Pastor, what does this show us? I just see this morning that God is an eager God. He was ready and willing to hear and respond to his people. He was just waiting for them. I don't know how much time went by before they cried out, but the scripture would lead me to believe that seven years went by. Go to verse number one. How long did Midian oppress them? Seven years. And then you read about deliverance. Isn't it interesting why it took the children of Israel so long to call out to him? I find it interesting when you go and you read about um, uh, the Moabites coming over and Eglon or Kushan Rishathaim and Mesopotamia coming over them. It tells us that they were in, in oppression for 18 years and 40 years. And it has all these years lined up. Why doesn't it say they were in oppression for one month and then cried out to the Lord? Do you know why? It goes back to that thought, we're our own worst enemy. Sometimes we think, I've got this. I can handle this. I can deal with this. Can I tell you a simple thought? No, you can't. No, I can't. We have a God who can. And you know what he is doing? He's waiting. He's an eager God. He's eager waiting for you to respond and to cry out to him. I think about phone calls. We've all gotten those phone calls, you know, where someone's calling you and you go to answer it. You're looking at it and you're thinking, do I want to answer? Do I not want to answer? You know, like, I, I don't know. Or maybe I just don't have the time, whatever the case might be. Have you ever pressed ignore on somebody? Man, I try not to do that. Try not to press ignore. Every now and then it has to happen because of driving or something like that. I'm sorry, honey. I didn't mean to press it yesterday. I, no, I'm just teasing. You know what? You know what God never does? God never presses ignore on your phone calls. He's ready and willing. I mean, he's just looking at it, like waiting, like when, when, when's he gonna call? When's she gonna call out? I'm ready, I'm willing. Listen to what the psalmist said and how he put it in Psalm 86, one through five, bow down thine ear. Oh Lord, hear me for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul for I am holy. Oh, oh thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And notice what he says, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Listen, God is ready and eager to help, to comfort, to challenge, to correct, and to strengthen his people. He's an eager God. Can I just tell you this morning, if you're avoiding talking with the Lord about an issue in your life or a situation that you think you can handle, can I just tell you and encourage you today that we serve an eager God. He's just simply waiting for you and I to turn back to him. I see today we serve an eager God. Secondly, I see that we serve an embracing God. We serve an embracing God. Now, I'm gonna tell you right up front, if we went through and did all of the passages, we would have to preach about four weeks on Gideon. We're not gonna do that. Just gonna preach two weeks on him. So what you need to do is don't just take my word for what I'm about to tell you. Go home today and read Judges 6, 7, and 8. Go home and read 6, 7, and 8, and, and, and you'll see uh, just the, the power of this passage. But I see 
<coughs> that we serve an embracing God. In verse 11, we find the Lord, uh, Judges 6, verse 11 through 24. And again, I won't go through the uh, whole passage for time's sake, but we find the Lord coming to Gideon and he finds Gideon uh, threshing the, uh, the wheat on the, at the wine press, not the threshing floor, but the wine press. And he finds Gideon in a town called Ophrah. And you read about that. It would be kind of right in the center of, of the uh, Valley of Armageddon and the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Jezreel. Uh, Ophrah would be kind of right in the middle there. And this is where uh, the Lord comes and an angel of the Lord comes and speaks to Gideon. I want you to notice what he says to Gideon. Go to chapter six and verse number 12. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, if you read verse 11, verse 11 tells us that he's threshing wheat on the wine press, not on the threshing floor, as I said a second ago, for fear of the Midianites. So he's serving in secret. That's what he's doing. He's kind of threat. He's trying to ha harvest crops in secret. And yet the angel comes to him and says, God is with you. You are a mighty man of valor. Does anybody else see any like discrepancy? I don't know. You know, looking at that and thinking like, are you talking to the right person? Because... And I think Gideon even thought that because we see Gideon's humility and we'll see that in just a second. But I want you to notice something and here's the simple thought I wanna make and we'll move on. What I love about this thought is this fact that God sees what can be, not just what is. God didn't look at Gideon and say, hey, Gideon, I noticed you cowering down over here in the, uh, the wine press. You're not on the threshing floor. I mean, you, you're not even doing that. Um, you know what? Let, I can't use you. You're... You're kind of scared right now. Did he have a reason to be scared? Yes. Did he have reason to want to harvest in, in, in silence and in private? Yes. Was this probably, I mean, physically speaking, was this probably a wise thing to do? Yeah, probably so. But you and I would look at it and say, well, why isn't he doing something? Why hasn't somebody do something? In just a minute, we're going to see that his own dad had a, 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 an idol a, a grove. It would be like an idol set up uh, to Baal and had an altar in his yard. So uh, here's Gideon. Why didn't he stand up to his own family? Why didn't these things happen? Here's the truth this morning. God does not see what is. He sees what can be. And that is so true in your life as well. And you may at times feel like, God, why are you challenging me in this faith step? God, why am I going through this situation? God, why am I facing this trial? Can I just help you help us understand that God does not see what is, he sees what could be. He doesn't just see uh, what is going on right now. He sees what could happen in the future. Man, and I see him looking at Gideon and he comes and he says, Gideon, I am with you. You're a mighty man of valor. But I wanna key in on a phrase for just the next few moments. That phrase is, I will be with thee. From verse 11 down through verse number 20, um, no, verse number 34. From 11 to verse number 34, <clears throat> I believe that God is helping Gideon understand his presence. God is helping Gideon specifically in verse 11 through verse number 16. We'll get to the others in a moment. But verse 11 through verse number 16, God is simply trying to help Gideon understand, I am with you. 
If you go and you read verse 13 and 14, I believe, you find Gideon and he's there and the angel of the Lord is speaking to him. And Gideon says like, are you sure you have, he says like, are you sure you have the right person? I mean, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, which isn't very big. And in that tribe, my family is like the worst family within the tribe. And then within my family, like my household, my dad is like one of the smallest guys. I mean, we are, we are nobodies. And then even in my own family, I am like the least of all my brothers. I'm the least of everything. And that's kind of the connotation of the context. He's saying, hey, listen, uh, are you sure you have the right person? God says with him in verse number 12, I am with you and go down to verse number 16. What else does he say in verse number 16? He says these words, something like this, surely I will be with thee. Do you see that there? Surely I will be with thee. Verse 12, hey Gideon, the Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. Verse number 16, surely of a surety, of a truth, I am with you. Do you know what I see in this passage and in these few verses is I see the fact that God was drawing Gideon close to himself. God was trying to help Gideon understand again that relationship and God was speaking uh, to him and, and he was not speaking harshly to him, but instead he was speaking words of comfort, words that would draw him in and Gideon, I, I'm going to use you. I'm going to work through you. Why? Because Gideon, I am with you. And if you were to go, you would read the following verses. God confirms all of this, and you'd read that all the way down through about verse 21. In verse 21, Gideon realizes that he's been speaking with the Lord. He fears for his life. And notice what's said in verse number 23. The Lord said unto him, peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. You say, pastor, it's kind of jumping around a little bit. And I hope it doesn't come across jumbled, but in verse 11 through verse 24, God is simply helping Gideon understand, Gideon, I am God. I wanna use you, but I'm not just going to make you do stuff. I'm gonna be with you. Gideon, I want to be with you. I will be with thee. Did you know that today, we serve a God who desires closeness with his people. God was embracing Gideon here and he desires, God does, he desires that his people would be close to him. Through this account, we find God again drawing Gideon in. I mean, God could have commanded Gideon, right? He could have just come and said, hey, Gideon, I'm going to use you, zap, and, and make Gideon do it. But that wasn't his approach. He came and he spoke to him, and he spoke to him about his peace and about his presence. I see that as an embracing God. Do you know what closeness to the Lord does for a believer? Closeness to the Lord brings about that ability to really hear his voice. Closeness to the Lord is what brings about a real effectiveness for God. I liked this. Gideon was a mighty man of valor, and yet he could bring nothing to pass without the presence of God. And that presence is enough to make any, ma any man mighty in valor and to give a man courage at any time. Man, I see God in our passage. He is an embracing God. 
God desires for us. He desires for us to simply take steps of faith and to grow in him and to be used in him, but he never wants us to do it apart from him. I wasn't planning on doing this this morning, but I'm going to. So we might be here an extra five minutes. Can I tell you, you can do a lot of things without God. You can do a lot of godly things without God. You can stand in church and sing. The worship songs, stand and sing. I can get up and do a special. I could be in the choir. I could play the piano. I could lead the singing. I could teach a class. I could bring snacks. I can greet people. I could preach. Any one of us, we can do a lot of things without God. And I want to tell you that I fear that many of us do. We do. We kind of get in this, you know, the gym, just this Christian mindset. And we kind of become a robot Christian. You know, it's just kind of like go through the day, go through the motions, come to church, go home, get back up, come back Sunday night. I mean, I just kind of go and do things. And then the week, God's presence is not in my life. Oh, it's not to say that I'm out, you know, uh, running around in the world and going to parties and, and doing all this crazy stuff with my life. No, I still go to work and live my life as a husband or as a, <coughs> excuse me, as a wife or a teenager, but I don't give second thought to God. You know what we're doing? We have a lot of Christians that do godly things apart from God. Can I tell you that that, that in and of itself, going back to politics for a second, that in and of itself is what's causing our nation to go the way it is. Is Christians who are living life without Christ. Oh, they're saved. Oh, they have, they know they're going to heaven. But we don't meet with him each day. We don't talk with him. We don't allow him to guide us. We don't seek him for his decisions. My wife and I were talking about it. We make life decisions because we prayed about it. But all we did was prayed what we wanted. We never surrendered and said, God, if you don't want me to do this, I won't. We do things without God. Can I just tell you this morning, God is interested in a relationship because he loves you and he wants to embrace you. One of the greatest verses ever written, one of the verses most known by people, John three sixteen. you know what it is? It's an embracing verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be what's the word you know what that word is that's an embracing word saved brought in man our God is him he, he is an embracing God Stop trying to live life, life without him. Just stop it. Turn back to him. He's eager. He's ready. He's willing. I look at 1 John 4, 7, and 8 today, and I see the, the love of God listed there because it says that God's character is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that, is, that loveth is born of God and, he, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? God is love. 
the very, at the very foundation of who God is, is this characteristic of love. God says to Gideon, I'm going to be with you. I want to embrace you. I see this morning that he is an eager God. I see that he is an, an embracing God. I want you to notice thirdly today that we have also an encouraging God, that we have an encouraging God. We have an encouraging God. And uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop right here, actually. We're going we're to continue this. We'll make it three weeks on Gideon, okay? Because here's what I want to do. I just, I just feel like we need to for a moment. If you look at those two thoughts, okay, we'll get to encouragement next week. So just come back, and you already know the first point, all right? If you look at our God, when I look at Judges 6, I find us coming in to what I call just getting that closer look. I love the story of Gideon. Next week, we'll see how God dwindles it down from 32,000 to 300 people and uses that. But when you look at this, you see God eager to meet with his people. And in that one phrase, summarizes so much character of God. He's eager to meet with his people. When you and I think about God's love, I think sometimes we think about it, and, and I've said this before, but we think about God's love in the abstract. We think about God's eagerness in the abstract in the sense that it's cool on paper, you know, and it's kind of a good thought, but there's not really personal identification or application with it. Can I just tell you this morning that someone in here, maybe you've been kind of just going through it, living your own life, kind of going through the cycle. And today you need to realize that you serve an eager God. He's ready to forgive you. He's willing. He's waiting. Why, why would God do that? because he is an embracing God, because he desires to pick you up where you are and draw you in. I've said this before, but dad, can I get you real quick? Could you come here? I'll close with this illustration and we'll be done. <coughs> I, uh, growing up, there was, there was always, you know, my, my dad and, and um, we have always, my dad and I have always had a great relationship. And one thing that has always helped our relationship, and I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't always the most perfect child. I know, it's, I know that's hard to believe, but I wasn't always perfect. Yeah, my sisters made me do it. Um, but you know what has always helped my relationship with my dad? I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what has always helped my relationship with my dad. Every single time my dad ever had to correct me, every single time my dad ever had to give me words of encouragement, if my dad spoke to me growing up, still to this day, do you know what my dad does? He gives me a hug. Every single time. You know what I love? And I, I'll tell you this and I'm done. This may sound weird to you. Stand right here and look that way for just a second. 
this may sound weird to you, but you know what I just absolutely love? I love my head right there. I know that sounds weird, but I just love when I'm able to embrace him and put my head right there. Can I tell you something? Your God loves you and desires for your head to be right there. He says, I just want you close. Quit running. Quit walking away. Some of you may say, well, Dennis, I don't know. I've never had a relationship with my dad like that. I don't care what your relationship is with your earthly father. Maybe you had a great one or maybe you didn't. Your God in heaven says, I want to pull you close. Quit walking away. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning and, and we're gonna be done. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just wanna tell you something this morning. Wherever you're at, whatever your need is, you have a God right now that says, come to me. I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll correct you. He's an eager God. Eager to what? He's eager to embrace you, to pull you in. And maybe this morning you've distanced yourself from the Lord. I'm gonna pray and have a time of invitation. If God's spoken to you, respond to him today. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.